Hey, everybody, Lori Rudiman here. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Fix Work. Today's show features Asha Curran, co-founder and CEO of Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday is a global generosity movement that unleashes the power of people and organizations to transform their communities and the world. Historically, Giving Tuesday was associated with the American holiday of Thanksgiving, but all of that has changed. So in this conversation, we're going to talk to Asha about the history and the roots of Giving Tuesday, where it is today, and where it's headed tomorrow. So if you'd like to have a conversation with someone about philanthropy, corporate social responsibility, and how generosity can change the world of work, well, sit tight and I'll be right back with more Asha Curran and Let's Fix Work. Work is broken, and so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Asha. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be with you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm a fan of big ideas and people who are out there making a difference in the world. And that is you. That's what you're all about. So you seem to have fixed work for yourself. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for a living? Sure. I am CEO of Giving Tuesday, which a lot of people have heard of, but a lot of people are not aware that it is an organization as well as a movement and a hashtag and a holiday and a ritual and many other things. There is a team of people who run the big strategy behind Giving Tuesday and the network of global and regional leaders who are making the movement such a special thing in 63 countries now and hundreds and hundreds of local communities. So it's a wonderful job. And Giving Tuesday was actually incubated inside the 92nd Street Y, which most New Yorkers will know. It's a very prestigious cultural and community center here in New York. And we just spun out of the Y this year. So we are at the same time, eight years old and a brand new nonprofit startup. Well, I love it. You've got your foot in both worlds, <laughs> traditional corporation, as well as the startup kind of field, the entrepreneurial field. You talked a little bit about where you started as part of the 92nd Street Y, but I know you have an origin story history. So what's the history of Giving Tuesday? So my job at the 92nd Street Y, I was there for a long time. I held uh, several different positions, but the last position I held was chief innovation officer and director of the Belfer Center for Innovation and Social Impact. My title has gotten radically shorter, I'd also point out. But as part of that job and sort of the lead up to that job, I was doing a lot of experimentation with non-traditional programs that still met the 92nd Street Y mission. So the 92nd Street Y mission is all about education and civic participation and community and just kind of all good things that enrich life. And when I was there, I was working very closely with the then CEO of the 92nd Street Y, Henry Timms. He's now CEO of Lincoln Center. And it was really the two of us that sort of pioneered uh, a lot of new programming for the Y. And, and it was like a bunch of different programs, all of them still going on, all terrific. And one of them was Giving Tuesday. It wasn't even the first one, but at some point in 2012, he came into the office. It was his idea. I said, I love it. He said, drop everything and run it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, in the very beginning... It was a very different thing. We had no resource or very little resource. We were really bootstrapping everything. We counted on lots of friends and collaborators for advice and for counsel and for contributions of whatever type they had. Some people helped us build a website and some people helped us fashion the first public messaging around it. So it was really kind of a, an effort that was built by a coalition of people, of friends and, and colleagues. Those were exciting early days. And the the idea was really simple. It was a day of giving, you know, following two days of consumption, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And what's interesting to think about is that it, 
in the way that we first positioned it, it was very American, very U.S. American, like Thanksgiving, right? Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And it was very nonprofit focused. So it was all about sort of giving back to the cause that you care about most. And those two things in particular have really, really evolved, right? So right now, Giving Tuesday is all over the world. So we never connect it to Thanksgiving anymore because it just doesn't make sense in the vast majority of contexts that it's in. And it's really taught us a lesson about how incredibly broad generosity is, that giving to nonprofits is one wonderful way of manifesting generosity, but there are so, so many others that have nothing to do with money. I wonder if there are some stats that may surprise us about Giving Tuesday. I know many of us hop on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we see not-for-profits jumping in the Giving Tuesday mood, the zeitgeist, and really participating. But what would surprise us about this movement? Well, I think just the fact that there's an organization behind it tends to surprise <laughs> a lot of people. So that's one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think just along the monetary lines, just the numbers that we look at are incredible. So in 2019, nearly $2 billion was donated on Giving Tuesday. And just to put that in context, that's more in one day than any major US foundation gives away in a full year, with the exception of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That's a remarkable figure. And that's all made up of not not billionaires, not millionaires, just kind of regular folks giving $100 average gifts. So I think that's pretty shocking. And the global scope of Giving Tuesday also surprises a lot of people. You know, we talk to new countries every couple of weeks, every month we're onboarding new countries. Most recently this week, we welcomed Turkey and Nigeria. So the, the lesson behind that, I think, or the really inspiring thing behind that is that there's just nowhere that the idea of a ritual around generosity doesn't resonate, that it's very, very universal and very fundamentally human rather than a sort of exclusively American thing or exclusive to any religion or exclusive to any demographic. It's, it's just there's, there's nobody who would be excluded from celebrating Giving Tuesday. Well, that's such a beautiful message. And I like the idea that you're just onboarding these countries. I think you're absolutely right that people would be surprised there's this organization, this mechanism behind Giving Tuesday. So can you tell us what it's like to work there? And what do you mean by like onboarding a country? What's involved in running Giving Tuesday? Yeah, so the structure of Giving Tuesday is complicated and it's it's not like any structure I've ever run across. So I have a direct staff of 10 people and we are, even as that core team, we are globally distributed. So I only actually have one employee who's here in New York with me. The rest of our team is everywhere from Hong Kong to Toronto to Baltimore. And so we try to get a lot of time together, as much time as we can. And sometimes that happens when we have retreats in New York or elsewhere. And sometimes it happens when we are traveling together and we find ourselves, you know, as a team in Johannesburg or Sao Paulo, Brazil or wherever it might be. And, and that adds a lot to the culture of our team, I think. And because we are distributed, we really make a big effort to stay very, very connected and very cohesive. So we actually have a, a, a wonderful work culture, despite the fact that we're not face-to-face. -face. And in fact, I think possibly because of it, because we really value the time that we do have together instead of taking each other for granted. And then beyond that, we have hundreds of people who we consider part of our team, 100%. They're pushing forward the Giving Tuesday mission. They're devoting huge parts of their lives to it. They're not on our payroll, but they're part of this vast global network that is highly interconnected and working together every single day. So it's a really interesting organizational model. We often say that our budget, 
you know, if we calculated that if all of those people were on the payroll, you know, we would be many, many, many multiple times of the budget that we actually are. So it's a pretty efficient use of the money of our funders as well. Well, that's great. You know, as your culture is connected, even over the way that you're mapped across the globe, it reminds me of the way that Giving Tuesday operates because we're so polarized right now, right? Everybody's in their own little camp. Or at least that's the message that we tell ourselves. And yet Giving Tuesday is one of these universal events that people, individuals, organizations get excited about. So why is that? Why do you think everybody can bond online over philanthropy? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think we're in an age of movements. Movements are the language that people understand right now. Movements are the language that people are speaking and engaging in. So when you look around, you know, whether you look at Me Too or Never Again, or, you know, there's a whole lot of them right now, that's kind of how people are feeling part of the human community by making their voices heard along with lots of other people and finding a sense of bravery and camaraderie in being able to speak out, but knowing that they're not the only ones who are speaking out. I think there's a real joy in community. And I think it's a myth that community can't happen online. I think it often does happen online and then often goes bad to hurt or to vitriol or to division. But that's not technology's fault, right? It's not social media's fault. It's it, it's the intentionality that we as people bring to it. And so on Giving Tuesday, the intention that people are bringing to the day, both online and offline, is to give collectively and to celebrate the joy of being generous and the massive reward that it gives each person to know that no matter how little they have to give, it's a big deal. It makes a big difference and a big impact on their world, on their community, on just another person. You know, and I think if you walk out of your door in the morning thinking, I'm committed to making someone else's life better today in some small or big way, that's changing your day before it even begins. And then when you do that in concert with all of these other people and, and especially people around the world, and then you realize that a lot of those people don't agree with you, right? They don't share your politics, right? They don't share your demographics. They might live a life that is totally unrecognizable to you. And yet you share this really, really important thing. You share this value that is so fundamental to making our lives bearable and vibrant. That's so well said. As you were speaking, I was thinking about this advice that I give to a lot of my clients, which is service can save a bad job. Volunteerism can save a bad job because it breaks the cycle where you're obsessing about your cruddy work environment and you're suddenly working towards a bigger goal. So I wonder what you think about that. You're a leader. You're a leader among other leaders. So what's the importance of service in the world of work? Oh, such an interesting question. I have a, what I hope is not too complex an, an answer to it. I think it's, first of all, depends the context that you're talking about. So sometimes I hear about nonprofit workers who are already working in, you know, tough conditions. Nonprofit workers are chronically underpaid because funders don't like to give money to what we idiotically call overhead, which basically means everything that's not going into direct program. They often are working in kind of crappy conditions with not all of the tools they need, with not enough time off, you know, really overridden by stress, with direct exposure sometimes to things that are really, really traumatizing to work with on a daily basis. And so when you talk in that context about kind of volunteerism that's not necessarily voluntary, that I'm not a fan of. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if yeah. you want to, you know, if you want to pull people together, my God, these people do such hard work, like give them a spa day to get them. Yeah. Well, day, right? that is well said. That's not even something that came across my mind in that community. 
I wonder, not to interrupt you, but what are you doing to fight that in your own organization? Because a lot of people see that, right? And I bet they don't eat their own dog food, don't drink their own champagne, right? So you've got this understanding that not-for-profit work can be so hard. How do you fight that at Giving Tuesday? I just don't buy into any of those, the old tropes. You know, I, I just won't do it. I won't run that kind of organization. So Giving Tuesday employees are true believers. Like that's, that's one thing that we all know has to be the case to be a successful member of our team. It's just not, you know, the same as some jobs like coming in, pressing the F5 key all day long and going home. Which is a terrible job also, but... Terrible yeah. job, terrible job. So everybody over delivers and delivers passionately, but on their own terms and on their own schedule. So even when I worked in an office, even when I led a team that was in an office setting, I always said my mantra was deliverables, not ours. I am not impressed by somebody who arrives at 6 a.m. and leaves at 10 p.m. That to me does not translate into better work. A healthy, balanced person who loves what they're doing, that translates into better work. Way better work, right? Work that's delivered with heart and soul. And somebody whose metabolism is tanking, who's never prioritizing exercising or their family, I'm not going to get the best out of you anyway, so let's not even play that game, right? And things like extremely limited vacation time and leaders and managers who don't believe in remote work. I just think that's absurd, except in very specific contexts, right? You can't be a fully remote public school teacher, for example, <laughs> no, you um, you know, or minor, or whatever, right? So, <laughs> right. There's def- but the, there's so many jobs where people are required to come in and are required to clock in and clock out that it just doesn't have to be the case. And, and I find for myself that Working in lots of different contexts, like my hours are very different on different days. On some days, I can honor the introvert in myself and work entirely from home and just have calls or get some writing done and take walks with my dog and and exercise. And in other days, I can be my extroverted self and be all around the city meeting with loads of people. And that to me is balance. Right. Rather than trudging through every day in exactly the same way, in exactly the same routine, right? Getting lots and lots of walking in, meeting with lots and lots of people when that's the right thing, plenty of travel, but then also decompressing from that travel. And because I know that that's healthy for me, I want everybody who works for me to figure the way of working that is healthiest for them. And not because I'm nice, right? Like, (laughs) I hope I am nice, but because I really believe that that's the best way. Trying to get the best out of people by, I don't know, regulating their movements and their hours and and how they work is utterly self-defeating in the long run. I love all of that as a leader, as a woman, right? As a consumer of work. I think that's really important. I don't think enough leaders are honestly speaking about the challenges though of getting people to prioritize their own health and well-being. And I think we have a workforce that's scared oftentimes or they don't want to make a mistake. They're walking on a tightrope. You know, it took them a while to get that job. They're in their dream job and they don't want to blow it. But there's something about professional detachment or professional maturity. That is just so, I think, cool to me, right? You know, when people know what they're doing and they're confident about it and they put themselves first, they run their lives like a business. I want to promote that person. (laughs) I want to make them CEO, right? That's the kind of person who really appeals to me. Amen. Yes. For so many leaders, that's seen as a threat or it's seen as counterproductive. And I just wonder, are you out there in your community talking about the future of work and talking about what you appreciate in the new workforce? I mean, this is exactly why I jumped at the chance to be on this podcast because I love the title of it so much. I really believe not, you know, not to be negative, but I really believe that work is is broken in many ways and that we are, you know, we're operating on like the worst habits of the 50s with all of the added expectations of the 2020s. Right. Right. That combination of things is just 
it's toxic. Like we, we have to just completely reinvent. And I think, you know, I think a lot of leading happens through fear and suspicion, like fear that people aren't going to do their work unless you're metaphorically whipping them, right? Or suspicion that if you let people, you know, work in the way that they want to work, that they'll just do the least possible work. And that's, I think that's just so fundamentally misguided. Somebody can be really lazy and underdeliver and be right under your nose the entire time, yeah. as we all know, right? <laughs> to your earlier point, which I think is a really, really important one, I think any good leader wants to create other leaders, right? And especially if you're a woman, right? That you really, really want to mentor other women into being leaders and you really want to give as many people on your team thought leadership opportunities and professional development opportunities rather than holding them down. That seems so obvious, but I see it happen the other way a lot. And I think that also is, you know, just caused by by fear. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with you at all. You know, as we're talking about like toxic work environments or organizations that are just stuck in like the Mad Men days, I was also thinking about that earlier question I asked you, because I really do believe maybe not in the not-profit world, but in, you know, traditional corporate America where people are slaving away at their desk, literally, figuratively, you know, depending on the organization. Um, I really feel like service can be the thing that interrupts the cycle of negativity. It can interrupt the cycle of just looking at your own sales numbers, your quarterly profit, you know, all the things that are really drivers of performance. And you can start to look externally and appreciate that there's another world happening, that there are other people who need you and need your skills, and that you can both be an awesome project manager, an awesome accountant, but you can also go into your community and make a difference as well. You can do two things at once. And sometimes doing two things at once makes your job a little bit better or makes you put it in perspective differently. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, I think you're totally right that it's not my world. Like I've, I worked in one for-profit company in my entire career. And let's just say that it was not my most successful foray. Right. You and everybody else listening to this podcast. <laughs> it was really miserable. It was just, it was not my thing. Not that I graduated from college and said like, I only ever want to work for nonprofits. It was just those that I was drawn to and felt more connected to the work. But but I think that you are probably very right. It is really toxic to be focused exclusively on quarterly returns. And that's a disease that is so rampant here, especially in the United States and has, and has led to all kinds of really awful consequences, right? Yes. To kind of get out into a, into a community and be reminded of what really matters and to be reminded of our, again, like our agency in making an impact, no matter how small that reminder is just so incredibly important. And it's one of the things I value most about giving Tuesday, because I think it provides it for a lot of people. So I think that's one aspect of what you said that I agree with. And I think, I think also to add to that, that introducing generosity behaviors into the workplace, and this is true, nonprofit or for-profit, is also a game changer. And by that, I mean to do things like become a peer mentor to someone, right? Refuse to gossip. Try to be alert if people are in pain in any way, having a hard day, to be there for them. To go out of your way, to be kind. Some, give somebody something that is that is unbidden, right? All, all of those things are generosity behaviors. So generosity behaviors are not just giving money or giving time to the needy. And it's not even about someone having something and another person not having something. Everybody needs kindness, right? Everyone needs to be shown generosity. And so if you actively and intentionally bring generosity into your workplace, it will be a better workplace. It won't, it's not a magic pill, right? It won't cure a toxic work environment. And I always encourage anyone who's really in a toxic work environment rather than trying to fix it to just get the hell out of it. Oh yeah, yeah. That is good advice based in science. Yeah, that's but, good. but even if you have a, you know, if you have a wonderful work culture, then I guarantee it's partially because there's generosity present. 
that people are fundamentally generous to each other, that they have each other's backs, that they pick up each other's slack, that they're giving each other feedback, both positive and constructive, right? But with the spirit of helping somebody else be better. All of that is, is generosity and we can bring it into every interaction we have or we cannot. Well, I was going to ask you when organizations should start planning for Giving Tuesday 2020, but it sounds like this concept of generosity is something that you can start today and Giving Tuesday is just a component of it. So let's talk a little bit about Giving Tuesday specifically, though. If organizations are interested, can they partner with you? Like, how would they get involved? They don't even need to partner with us. So many hundreds and thousands and millions of organizations are active at this point that, you know, what in the very beginning of Giving Tuesday, we did work directly with nonprofits, but we really don't anymore work with the leaders that I mentioned, the country leaders, the community leaders, and they each have their own communities of for-profits, non-profits, right, local businesses, houses of worship, schools, like they bring whole communities together. So for organizations that are thinking of working toward specifically that one day, we just usually say the earlier, the better. Like <laughs> my pet peeve is organizations that like don't think about it until two weeks beforehand, then like schedule a bunch of emails to blast into people's inboxes for the final two weeks don't make any money and then blame Giving Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, I can see that. <laughs> like, that's a poor plan, right? That was like, that was a poor strategy and it got a poor return. That's the nobody's fault but the organization. So starting to think about it earlier and then really starting to think beyond just doing a traditional fundraising campaign, right? What can you do that is new, that is creative, that is adventurous, even that's risky? You know, nonprofits tend to be so risk averse and taking risks can be exciting for employees. It can be fun. The ROI can be huge. Collaboration is something that's also way too low in the nonprofit sector. So we see a lot of organizations actually reaching out to each other to work together to do something for Giving Tuesday. And that is one of my favorite things to see because it happens so rarely. Nonprofits really look at each other as competitors and that should not be the case. We're all working together toward a better world, right? So we should not be seeing each other as you know just competitors for donor dollars. And often collaborative efforts end up increasing the pie for everyone. And then finally, I would say, you know, there's tons of resources available on our website, literally like more than you could read through an entire lifetime, case studies and ideas for organizations of all size and all around the world. But I would also really encourage people to start thinking about Giving Tuesday as a movement that can be utilized year round. So we we talk about Giving Tuesday, the way, the way that we try to describe it is it's like a wedding anniversary, right? It's a day that you like really celebrate, but that doesn't mean you're ignoring your marriage the rest of the year, right? It doesn't mean you're only married on that day. And likewise, Giving Tuesday is a day that we all come together to celebrate generosity as a human community, but we can be generous and celebrate it every single week, right? Every single day, every single month of the entire year. So choosing to do something that's like, what's the generous thing we can encourage people, our audiences, our potential audiences, people who want to be involved in our world, you know, what's the thing that we can encourage them to do that's generous every Tuesday? Oh, I like that. I right? like that a lot. Our need yeah. is actually that a yearly habit of generosity is terrific, right? But a weekly habit of generosity would actually start to sink generosity so fundamentally into our DNA that it just becomes a habit like brushing your teeth when you wake up. And that's really what our big dream for Giving Tuesday is. That say every Tuesday, people woke up and knew that Tuesday is the day that you go out and you make somebody else's life better. That would be awesome. That'd be great. It would be awesome. It you would be change awesome. the so, world. Well, you're already changing the world. I mean, Giving it, Tuesday. You know, it, we think we, we have in, in one step and we think there's, we think there's, you know, big, big dreams that lie ahead and a, and a long way to go. And you, you said earlier that people are feeling disconnected and they're feeling 
so many things, right? They're feeling angry. They're feeling terrified. They're feeling divided. They're feeling lonely. We have a loneliness epidemic. And what I hear on Giving Tuesday is this makes me feel better. You know, I feel, I feel more optimistic today than I have in a while. And this makes me feel better. And I felt like I was really a part of the community today. And, and all of these pictures that we get of like people together and smiling, it's, it's lovely, right? It's like, it's just such a beautiful thing. And so when we started really thinking about this, you know, this should, Giving Tuesday should be all, all year round is because the demand for that seems to be so high that people are like, we really need something that just reminds us, right? Like on, on a schedule. Oh, right. We are, we're all part of the same human community. We all have the capacity to make a difference. Well, I am 100% behind every Tuesday's Giving Tuesday. So sign me up. Okay, <laughs> excellent. That is inspiring and I'm down for that. So Asha, it was really great to connect today. If people want to learn more about you and your organization, where do they go? Just givingtuesday.org. Easy peasy. Thanks again for being a guest on Let's Fix More. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Hey, everybody. I hope you appreciated and enjoyed my conversation with Asha Curran of Giving Tuesday. To find out more about the organization and how you can get involved in all the good links that are associated with every episode of Let's Fix Work, you can head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash Let's Fix Work dash 94 for a pretty awesome key takeaway PDF. As always, Let's Fix Work is produced by Danny Osmond and his team at Emerald City Productions. We're always looking to get better. We want to be twice as good as any other podcast out there. So send us your feedback to hello at letsfixwork.com. That's all for today's show. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and we'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes.